This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 Is that right? What to do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of the Daily K Podcast. And on today's episode, we have the man himself, reaching for a superintendent of the year and superintendent of A Leaf ISD. Mr. H.D. Chambers. How you doing today, Mr. Chambers? I am doing very well, KT. Really am. I'm doing well. I, I want to say uh, thank you for taking some time out to come on and, and really talk to the audience uh, just about the year, just about a little deeper personal look at yourself through my questions lens, um, and just what's been happening with you. So thank you for taking some time out today. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. So, um, you know, just jumping into things, uh, before we get started, I always like to do a wellness check uh, because we do know that it's been crazy out here. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, as you work to keep putting others before yourself and you're out here uh, checking up on everybody else, uh, just checking in on you. How have you been doing during this pandemic and staying safe? Uh, I, well, on a personal level, I've been I've been blessed. I've uh, I. Uh, uh, like most people, I, I I got the vaccinations when I could, and I got the booster when I when I was eligible. And um, I have every reason to believe I've been around people who have been carriers, and and uh, the good Lord has blessed me, and not I, I really haven't had any any illness, if you will, from uh from the from the from any of the variants. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that is, like I said earlier, trying to take care of the. The medical side of it, the science that people are giving us opportunities to take, but also just trying to be smart in day-to-day -day life, um, whether it's wearing masks or social distancing or just just being smart. You know, trying to keep keep yourself out, of, keeping myself out of situations or environments that that might likely lead um, to illness. But other than that, um, the, the 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 daily stress of the job and the workload of the job and uh, in all honesty, I have, uh, I mean, I felt it like everyone else says, I'd be less than honest if I said I haven't, but it hasn't, it really hasn't had a, uh, a significant impact on me. So to answer your question, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Well, that, that is, that is good to hear. Um, I, I've been in the same position, uh, you know, and knowing that you've been around people who have actually came up positive. Um, mm -hmm. and like you say, the good Lord has really just let us kind of slide by. So, uh, very thankful for that. And, uh, what a great point, you know? Uh, so now, taking a deeper look into uh, HD Chambers, uh, been in education for over 30 years, superintendent of A-Leaf since 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, now, long as it's been, take us back to the classroom, HD. Uh, <laughs> and when did you know that leadership was for you? And, and just like guys, uh, when it's time for us to go to the doctor, you know, we don't always act on that first instinct. So uh, did you uh, act on your first instinct when you found out leadership was for you? Oh, of course not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll just, just a real quick, uh, I, I, I started my teaching career in 1986 and I was a, um, a high school government and history teacher. And I coached high school football at Eisenhower high school in the Aldine district and, and loved it, loved it. Uh, I tell people to this day, uh, the most fun I've ever had in my career was coaching high school football. Now, the, the best job I've ever had is the one I've got right now. But the most fun I ever had was teaching and coaching. And that's the, that's the sincere truth. And um, 
how did, you know, where did leadership come from and how did it enter into my mind? Uh, I, I don't, when I was younger, I don't, when I was that age, I don't think I looked at it as a, as leadership. I think I, I looked at it as, um, I wanted to be responsible for my, for my, for the outcomes that are, that are going to be mine. In other words, I didn't want to wait on someone else's decision to impact my life. I, I wanted to take control of it. And if it was going to, if I was going to fail, I wanted it to be my failure. If I was going to succeed, I wanted it to be my success. And so uh, I learned early on that people listened to me. I, I, um, I, I learned early on that I liked the responsibility of leading, uh, whether it was on, on the football field or in the classroom or with my department. Mm. And, and so just one thing led to another, you know, it, uh, I started working on my master's degree thinking I was going to be a head football coach and an athletic director one day. And, and as, as we all have experienced life happens and things change. And so it just over a period of time, not only in my job, but, but working with others, it leadership became, uh, it, it seemed like every time I was in a group, somehow I became the leader of that group, whether it was uh, at work or whether it was, you know, when you, when you assemble 10 adults and ask them to do a task, the, the leaders kind of naturally come to the forefront and those who are going to work kind of, everyone kind of establishes their, their, their role. And I am, uh, uh, I, I tended for some reason to always become the leader of that group. Even I was, I remember when I was younger, I was, uh, I was uh, at jury duty and I was in that. I ended up getting selected on this, on this, on this trial. It was a little, um, it was a criminal trial. Mm-hmm. And when we went back for deliberations, now listen, I was probably in my early thirties. We went back into the jury room and we began to, first thing you have to do is select a jury form at Foreman. And somehow everybody looked at me and, and, and it, we had conversations that led up to that, but it, it just kind of, I don't know. It just kind of came natural. It, it, it does. And so long story, I'm not making this longer and you probably know it, but it's all good. But when I just, when I first decided, I thought I wanted to go into leadership in the education business was when uh, I had moved out of coaching and I was, I was into campus administration and I began having my own thoughts about, I think this is, I, th- I think if we, if we did these kinds of things, I think, you know, kids would, would react differently and I think if we did these kinds of things I think it would be helpful to teachers and and so like most leaders leaders are born out of ideas and thoughts and their own their own beliefs and 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 I was no different I thought the same thing and I so I started taking coursework and never never uh, and this is the honest truth I, I never ever uh, thought about the superintendency uh, I, 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 I'm not one of those people who at 25 or 30 years old already had his career mapped out. I, I did not, I didn't, but, uh, but, I but I began realizing as I progressed in my career that leadership did come natural mm-hmm. and that I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the responsibility. Uh, I kind of thrive on it a little bit, which is kind of weird in a weird way, but it, it drives me. It really does to this yes. day, yeah. to this day, it drives me. And, um, so one thing led to another. I'm in a. I'm, I've met enough people, and I'm in a situation. And uh, superintendent's job open was opening in Stafford Municipal School District down in the Fort Bend County area. And a gentleman who was doing the search who knew me said, "You know what? This seems like a challenge that you would you would relish in." So next thing you know, I'm, here, I, we I, here we go. And then so 17 or 16 years later, 
of being a superintendent, I uh, this, the very things I just described to you uh, still resonate in my mind at, at, at my age of 58 years old right now. I still think about leadership. I still relish the responsibility. I still take um, I take it serious, very serious. And um, but it wasn't something that I set out to do from day one. I did not. Uh, and and did I ignore it? You know, back to your question. You know, did it? I I don't know that I ignored it as much as as much as I I waited uh, before I made decisions on on moving into that next job. I, I waited a little bit because I was always afraid. Okay, I need to learn one more thing before I can be successful in that job. And I learned really quickly that if you wait to be you know, to learn one more thing, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. So, so that's, that's a little bit of, of, of how leadership, in my opinion, leader, it was a 50, 50 thing. I was looking for leadership and I think leadership was looking for me. And oh, that's it. Wow. Wow. Mr. Chambers. Um, I, I want to say um, as a former high school uh, football and track coach uh, <laughs> down in college station, look, I know how it feels when you get ready to take that step out. Uh, that's why I ended up going from high school to elementary. I said, well, the only way that I'll be able to get away from this, because it is one of the funnest. But when you get a chance to step on that campus as a leader and you get, like you say, to put that team of teachers together, uh, go into those classrooms and make the best decision for students that you can within your uh, realm of influence. That is what it's all about. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's good. It's it's much like coaching. It's 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 very much like, uh, you know, putting a team together and putting a game plan together and and tweaking it and working and collaborating with your your colleagues and and seeing okay how does this work and the difference between what we do every day now in in athletics is in a football game at the end of the week you have a scoreboard to tell you how well you did or how well you didn't do and. In, in our business, sometimes it takes a long time to, to determine what was effective and what was not effective. And for those of us who are a little impatient with that kind of with, with the results that don't come immediately, uh, we have to learn to be patient and we have to learn to find within those bigger those bigger issues. We have to learn to identify small victories and or small defeats, depending on what what, what they are. And I, that that part of it is yeah, it's very similar to to doing what you described. Mm-hmm. And and has that role changed any uh, during the pandemic or? Um, and, and I know the general role, but but the mindset of things uh, has that changed any? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I've told people um, I do a lot of mentoring of aspiring superintendents and, and current superintendents. I mentor a lot of, of of men and women in the job, and and for those that are new into their role. Uh, this job is different than it was two years ago. It, uh, now, the responsibilities are different. Let me let me rephrase that. The job itself hasn't changed much. I mean, I'm still responsible for what I'm responsible for. However, the responsibilities and the things that take my attention from um, or require my attention has changed for, for sure. And, 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 and I think you know, most people that go into the superintendency and in particular in education, not not just the CEO of a private company, but a, uh, the CEO of a school district. I, I would I would tell you that the the job has changed in a way in which I'm I'm, I'm having to take into account more um, more than before, more about if this decision is made, what's the ripple effect? It used to be the ripple effect was 
What's the academic ripple effect? What is the impact to teachers? Now I've got to think about what's the social emotional impact in addition to the academic impact to students. What's the social emotional impact to our staff, particularly those on campuses? What's, you know, and, and before you can, before I try to make these larger decisions, that, that question has to be answered is, do we know how this is going to impact? Is it going to create uh, larger problems? Whereas in the past, before the pandemic, pandemic, those things were on front and center, but, but they weren't nearly, they weren't nearly as, and you know this on the campus, they weren't nearly as, uh, uh, I guess, as in your face and as, and, 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 and as many of them as there are right now. So leadership is leadership. That part has not changed. The job has not changed. But like I said earlier, uh, the, re the responsibilities and the decision-making points have, have definitely changed. And, and with so many teachers uh, going through the struggle, uh, staying safe, and in some cases, uh, putting students before themselves, as you go into those meetings, um, how do you intentionally uh, still take that classroom teacher HD uh, into those decisions that are made for A-Leaf ISD staff? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's a good question. Uh, the, <laughs> and if there's teachers watching this or listening to this, there some may agree and some may not. I I, I, don't, I don't know their their mindsets. Um, I have a feeling I know, but but here's here's the answer to your question. We have to balance. I have to balance, and this is a delicate balance, and I know it. But we have to balance the need, the absolute need to continue uh, progressing with our students, whether it's the, whether it's trying to address the learning losses that have been that they've experienced over the last year and a half, uh, whether it's socially, emotionally, academically, all all of them, which typically it is, we have to balance the need to continue helping those children with with the the the, the tightrope that a teacher is walking on a campus with either their concerns with their health or covering classes every day showing up to work, not really knowing what you're going to, like I said earlier, it's like, I mean, there are people on campuses that show up every day and the first thing they want to do is make sure that we got kids, the classes covered because there's either teachers out or there's a, uh, as you know, we have some, some uh, paraprofessionals that are out. Uh, so what we try to do as a practical matter is we are doing our best to net, to not, to not um, include things that are new one more layer of things to do in addition to what you're already doing, unless we can remove something else from, from your responsibilities. And so, uh, so that's one, that's one, I mean, that's one thing that goes through my mind every morning, every day when we're talking about this. The second is, is what are we doing specifically to, uh, to help teachers feel as safe as they possibly can entering our buildings. So whether it's providing testing every day uh, on campus or whether you're testing at Crump, stadium for those that don't know that's our football stadium and that's where we've been testing uh rapid tests actually since since uh the beginning of the pandemic and most recently we were doing it during the christmas break when the when the uh, omicron variant uh, hit us so hard so uh, those are the things we're, we're trying to take into consideration that be careful when i push the accelerator on things because as you know if we try to accelerate learning and we push an accelerator in a car and there's no fuel in the gas tank, you, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to get much. Of the accelerator. So it doesn't matter how, how hard you press. 
but that's how I think we think about their safety first and we think about what are the things we can do to provide as much as we possibly can to for their safety. And then again, I want to be really clear about this. We do that with, with knowing that there are still responsibilities to students that we, we have to balance somehow. And, and, and how do, how do we minimize asking teachers and adding more stress to their professional life without sacrificing student learning and things of that nature. And, and so that's, it's far easier said than done, but yeah. those are the things that cross my mind. Yeah. Nice. Um, I agree with you far easier said than done, but I, I think, um, you know, as I'm charged as an assistant principal, um, safety, right. That's the number one issue when we walk in that building. So making sure that everyone is safe and uh, we can go from there uh, and, and going right into safety, thinking about the notion of the mandates or not, the politics versus the science that's involved with this. Um, how do you look at both sides of the science and then make the best decisions for ALEAF, even when uh, some of our neighboring districts um, have different views or policies and procedures? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've heard that old adage, you know, all politics are local. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the truth. I mean, you we have neighboring districts whose politics and whose communities and whose school boards, quite frankly, uh, are are um, uh, they they respond differently to to different situations de depending on their politics. Um, I'll 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 cut straight to the chase and let's let's talk about masks as an example. And. Um, so when when this when we first started bringing students back to school and, and school districts had the ability uh, to require masks and it really wasn't a hard sell because most people were still concerned it wasn't as though we had um, it had not become a political football yet mm -hmm. and and so that that was not that was not a difficult decision because we had the ability to do it so politics aside. The state of Texas, the governor had already made that decision for us that we had a that we could require them. And so fast forward a year later, masks became a political football. And depending on what side and is this, and I don't mean to get partisan, but depending on what political party you seem to align with, drove your opinion on masks for the most part. And and so when when the state of Texas and the governor got so much pressure and so much heat from uh, from one's political party about why are you mandating masks and why are you not giving parents um, their their you know god-given right to make decisions for their own child um, the governor caved and and kind of pulled back those mandates and so le it left school districts it left superintendents and school boards in an unenviable position of having to take the science and apply it to something that we had no control, that we had no ability to mandate. Now I know districts mandated them and we didn't. And I'll talk about my decision in just one second, but, but that, that decision by the governor and that decision by our state leaders, in my opinion, has done more harm, not just in the health of, of, of students and, and, and teachers and, and educators, but it has done irreparable harm in communities and with parents and community members and their their opinions and their positions as it relates to their schools. Um, it has led, as you know, as you very well know, it has led uh, to board meetings and to public 
displays in schools and at board meetings that would have never, ever, ever happened prior to this. And so I, I am, uh, I am keenly aware of the science. I am keenly aware of what, of what the science was was is telling us as our most superintendents. Uh, but but we also have to know that there was a strong strong political influence that was taking place across districts across the country, not just in A. Lee for Houston or the, the 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 greater Houston region. And so so let's let's go to the to the mask mandate or to not mandate. The first thing that 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 the science told us is that masks are helpful. They're very helpful. Uh, if worn correctly, if worn when they should be worn and uh, in, in the right environment. Now, it does no good to wear a mask for 30 minutes and then take it off for 10 to catch your breath and then put it back on. Um, it almost, I've likened it to almost become like wearing a hat. You know, you wear a hat when you, when, when you want to and you take the hat off. Well, people began treating the mask very much like that. We had to wear it for a while and they'd take it off and they'd put it back on. And eventually, at some point, you've lost the effectiveness of the mask. The, the the goal, the number one goal for school districts back then was to have as many students and as many adults wearing masks as possible. And remember, this was the time where back in the fall, late summer, early fall, this was when all of these uprisings were taking place across communities and school districts were trying to mandate masks and parents were showing up and literally disrupting the entire process and creating this friction in, in their boardrooms and the friction between the community and the board and the school district. Um, and they still, even in that, even with the districts that were mandating masks, they were still getting roughly 90 to 95% of their students and staff to, to participate, even with the mandate, um, because the governor had taken away any enforcement of that. And we may, I may, I, I weighed this, I talked to staff, I talked to some parents, I talked to obviously the board, and we had so many students and staff that were already wearing their masks uh, without me saying a word. Uh, they were they were doing it. And I made a calculated decision that I did not want to create by issuing a mandate, by telling you what to do and when to do it, how to do it. We already had people wearing them. We already had children wearing them. Um, I, as soon as I would have mandated something that I could not enforce, and that's the thing that bothered me, it was like, if 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 I mandated it and you said, you know what, I disagree with that. I'm not wearing that mask. There's nothing I could do to you about it. Absolutely nothing. And and so a couple things in the, the calculation. One, they were wearing everybody was for the most part, everybody was wearing masks. And two, we were not having the kinds of disruptions in our community and our district that others were having. And if I could prevent that, I was going to prevent that. Now, I want to be clear. I understand there were people that disagreed with that. I had, I had people that asked me, would you please consider a mandate? And I would respectfully tell them, yes, I am. Please don't think this is a political statement by me about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I fully 100% supported wearing them and I wore it. I said, but I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things at play here. Uh, yes, the science, the safety, the health. And I think we're covering as much of that as we can without me having to mandate something. But I'm also trying to make sure that we protect the integrity of our district, the integrity and the relationship between our community, our board, uh, the, the district itself, the campuses. And and so we monitored it. I mean, we had people in schools. We literally had people counting, making sure that we didn't have a bunch of people not wearing them. 
But you know as well as I do, towards the end of the day, there would be people mask around their chin or hanging off their ear. I would go to districts and talk to districts who had the mask mandate in place. Same thing was happening. Yeah. Um, so that I, I, I gave that long a- answer, but I, I wanted to put things into context because that's the when you talk about the science and the politics, um, those those two things intersected. And I, from day one, I used science. From from day one, I made decisions based on science, and and in some cases was criticized heavily for it. But but when it came down to the mask, at least for, for the beginning of the school year, there was a lot of issues at play, science included, but also other factors in play that that that, that we had to consider. And that's that's kind of how we how, how I dealt with that political issue. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, and, and when thinking about that, like you said, there are people on both sides of of the aisle on this. And, and when you get those constituents who are saying, I believe the A-Leaf is going the wrong way due to those decisions, uh, how do you address those constituents or stakeholders? Yeah, no, well, and I had them. I mean, I had, had people tell me that. Uh, I had, um, you know, and they were very respectful and they said, there's no, and I told them, I said, listen, I am, uh, I understand your question and I understand your, your, either your, you know, your critique or criticism or your position or whatever that is. And I would explain to them what I just explained to you, maybe perhaps more coherently so that they could understand it. But uh, when I did, nine out of 10 of them said, I get it. I, get it. I understand. And I said, now listen, I said, if, if I walked in a building tomorrow and half the staff and half the kids are walking around without a mask, I said, I'll be the first to go back and initiate a mandate because what the strategy we were using, which was, you have the I've given you the right parents make the right choice staff make the right choice you know take care of each other and people did and and there's a certain percent and we had this even when I mandated them when this first happened whenever I ma- mandated masks I had people oh goodness gracious who were pushing back and arguing why are you making me wear a mask as a matter of fact there were three employees in our district that lo- that that we're no longer employed because of because of the mask mandate. And I, and I sat there and I scratched my head. I said, someone is going to actually take a stand on this that cost them their job. And, and so whether there was the mandate, there was conflict. Without the mandate, there was conflict. And for those who came up to me and asked me about it, I just, I did all I know how to do. I looked them in the eye and I told them the truth and, 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 and gave them every right and they reserved the right to, to, to draw their opinions one way or the other. Um, but I stand in front of you or sit in front of you tonight telling you that the number of positive cases over the last, during the school year in A-Leaf has been lower than some districts that had a mask mandate. And it's, and it's, and it's not, it's not because of me. It's because it's because staff and students and parents and community members, they took the responsibility on that and, and to, and to do it. And so again, uh, history will judge us obviously, and and I, I I deserve to be judged like everyone else. And um, but that's that's kind of how we that's kind of how I the, the thought process with the board. That's how we went through this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about those um, <laughs> like you say, by the end of the day, they have the mask off to the side or, or you know, I think about the people who pull it. What you say? I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I know, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to discount. I don't want to be flipping about about 
that, but it's the truth. It, uh, I, I was, I was really sensitive to people wearing it for a certain amount of time and then taking them off. And then I'm asking them, so why did you wear it in the first place? Because you you just you just defeated the benefit of having the mask. And then, so so yeah, I, I'm I, I, we could. This is a, a topic that'll be discussed for years and years. But that, for what it's worth, that's how I addressed it. Yes, sir. Now, recently, uh, A Leaf conducted the equity audit, and mm -hmm. um, uh, just just looking at the top and, and thinking about that, why did uh, the district feel this audit was necessary? And were there any findings that you felt uh, as a superintendent that had to be addressed immediately? And if so, what are we doing to address it? Um, the, the, let me let me answer the, the first the second question first, real quick. Uh, at the end of that audit, we we did find uh, a couple of things that we needed to address rather quickly. So let me say that first. Why did we do the equity audit? And I'm going to tell you what those are in just one second and how we went about that. Uh, the 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 reason we 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 did the or we took on this topic of equity. And I want, before I get into that, I want to be clear with your with your audience. Um, we all know there's a difference between equity and equality. And right now in our country, uh, and for the for I mean for the last two years, but even going I mean for the last sixty five years, quite bluntly, or going back for the last two hundred years, there has been this in, this internal debate and discussion in our society about equality, right? I mean, everyone having the same opportunities, everyone being given the same chances, et cetera. And it's just recently that the the term equity, which is not treating everyone the same, equity is not equality. It is not, it is not treating all of us the same. Equity is looking and acknowledging that there are some individuals, there are some groups demographically, whether it's by race, ethnicity, by gender, that there are groups uh, that in order for them to be treated, quote unquote, equal, there has to be things done to allow that that equality to exist. And, uh, and, and so society has brought us to this. Yes, the George Floyd murder and the after effects of that and the attention that was given Brought, brought more attention to it to a lot of people. But I will tell you this, in this school district, and I am, I am, I'm, I'm extremely proud. If I'm proud of anything, this is one thing I'm proud of. Our school board, our, I'll, I can name them, but our school board, well before the George Floyd tragedy, had already ta started talking about equity in our school district and asking me very fair questions about, about the opportunities, the equitable opportunities for Latino children, for African American children, for for uh, children of, of 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 coming from uh, low socioeconomic backgrounds, of which, as you know, our children come from, and 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 we always thought because they live so diverse and it's been so diverse and it is a rich diversity, and I will tell you, uh, there is no district on the planet that embraces diversity like Aleph has. And it's been like that a long time. Now, doesn't mean we're perfect. Don't misunderstand me. But this community, the school district, the community, many years ago, came to the realization that this diversity is important and that it has to be the strength. If not, uh, it, this community will suffer uh, mightily. 
Well, the board wanted us to take a look at the entire district and let's look at areas where we think we're being equitable. Well, one of the things we found out was there's a lot of people that still felt equality and equity were the same thing. You'd have, and, and, and so we had an equity audit. We brought in a firm out of Western Kentucky who specialized in this and they is, um, um, what word am I looking for? I guess they did a desk audit. So they looked at paperwork, right? They look at stuff, data. Then they did a personal audit where they came in and they sat down with us. They sat down with me. They sat down with board members. They sat down with principals, teachers, students. Um, we didn't prepare them for it. It wasn't one of these, let's put a dog and pony show on so we look good. And I, and, and I want listeners in your audience to be, I'm very clear about this. We didn't set this up. We didn't, whatever came from it was going to come from it. Good, bad, indifferent. And in the course of that I don't know, four months, five months of taking a really deep dive in our school district. We 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 found way we found areas in which we weren't as equitable as we thought we were, and some of it was because of policy. Well, not I don't mean policies, but practices that were in place. Some of it was because of uh, ignorance, quite frankly. Some of it was because uh, we had not yet distinguished between equality and equity. So our board worked with this consulting group and determined what we thought equity is, what, what is equity in ASD, and, um, and I'm going to summarize, but it's basically meaningful opportunities for all students and helping the, which is the equality side of it, with providing the necessary um, skills, the necessary assistance, the necessary support uh, to help those children, to help those staff members, to help those community members who may be less fortunate or who, or who may need some help, whatever that help is, whatever it is. And, and so we, we define that. So before we could start trying to talk about equity in our district, we had to define what it was. And, and that's, that's what we did. And so let's fast forward to your question about what did you find? Um, we, we found, I'm gonna give you a good example. We found in our, in our discipline data that, uh, many of our African-American male students were disproportionately recognized without a school suspensions. Um, many of our Hispanic male students, uh, the same, not as, not as high as African-American males, but that was one example. Uh, what did we do about it? What we have done is we have uh, put training into place. And I, I, wanna, I don't want to paint this with a broad brush, but I'm gonna, it's going to sound like it. But we put training in place for leaders, administrators, et cetera, through our district, particularly in the secondary schools, and began doing these, these, you know, looking at cultures and looking at going back and revisiting these things that we thought we had done, that we thought we had portrayed, we thought, this is going back to what we thought, but the data proved us wrong. We, we thought that these things were in place. And so we instituted things like restorative practices. And if you're listening to this and you're not an educator, you may not know what a restorative practice is, but it, it's essentially instead of, you know, if, 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 uh, if HD and little, if I do something and this other kid does something and we look at why did you do this and how did this come about? Um, instead of just some punitive punishment that's equally distributed, we look at the situation that, that was involved and what, what led HD to do this and, 
and and it doesn't mean there's no discipline or no consequence it's just the disciplinary response is a little bit different and so restorative practices is where if i do something instead of just slapping me on the wrist or throwing me in in, in a in a out of school suspension or alternative learning center we put kids in, in environments where they can talk through this. They can learn from the adults. They can learn from their peers. They, they, they are taught to own their behavior. We're not, we're not excusing the behavior. We're not letting them quote unquote get away with it. As a matter of fact, we're probably making it more painful for them by having, making them talk about it and making them reflect on it. And as in your current role, you know, this as well as anyone that, that if, if you do it in the right way, if we train our adults to do this, these kids will talk and they'll, and they'll, they will, they will open up after time. They will open up about why did I do that? Regardless of what the offense is, well, you know, well, I did it, but you know, this is what was on my mind or this is what's going on. So that, you know, that, that was an, uh, an eye opener, you know, as far as, because it, it, it was a shock to the system because we thought because we were so diverse and we had, we had such a large African-American population and a Latino population we thought we were doing a good job in this area. We weren't. We, we, we weren't equitable at all. So that's uh, that's one. And I'll just give you another quick one that that most most people may not think about. And our board is our board is on me all the time about this. Um, but we look we're looking at the equitable distribution of like contracts to outside vendors to to businesses to minority and women owned businesses and. Uh, we're a multi-billion-dollar-a-year organization. Between our construction budget and our our general fund, we we put a lot of money in the economy. The taxpayers of our school district and the district puts a lot of money in the economy. And one of the things that we that we uh, we looked at was, and we're looking at, and literally as we speak, this is being worked on. We're talking about it during our February board meeting, as a matter of fact. But we're looking at how are we distributing the, the money and are we giving equitable opportunity to minority owned businesses, to women owned businesses, uh, to locally owned businesses? Uh, are we are we are we catching ourselves in the good old boy network where we're giving contracts and business to the same old good old boys, if you will? And um, I, I would sit here and tell you, I wouldn't say there's no there's no evidence that that's taken place per se. But there is evidence that we could do a lot better in terms of being more um, intentional about trying to be more inclusive with minority and women-owned businesses or historically underutilized businesses, which are minority and and women-owned businesses. So those are a couple of examples of what we discovered and what we're attempting to do to resolve that as it relates to equity. Yeah, and in thinking about... um, that restorative, you know, just being able to have those questions, just go through um, those pieces when you're talking to kids. A lot of the times they do not have that skill set or never seen how to have those conversations. And and I laugh because I I tell you, getting them to have that conversation is is like pulling that teeth. But once they get into it, oh, my God, you know, and and it's all about creating that empathy uh, between one another so that we can all grow together. So uh, yeah, I, I totally understand about that restorative, uh, Mr. Chairman. It, it is, and, 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 and I, I use that as an example simply because some people would view it as, well, you're letting them get away with whatever the offense is. And that's so far from the truth. Yeah. There, are, there are more ways 
uh, to address it. And, and, and I ask this question all the time of people who question me. I said, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, you don't mean to, to punish them punitively or you want me to change their behavior? I said, because if I punish them punitively, chances are they're going to repeat that behavior. Because the punitive behavior, I mean, the punitive punishment at some point becomes dull, right? Our job is not, we're not a prison. We're, we're not incarcerating people. We're not putting them in solitary confinement as a punishment for two weeks. Our job is to help these young men, in this particular case, these young men, but all students, but in this particular case, our job is to help these young men uh, understand on a very conscious, deep level what they did, help us and them understand why they did it, and help them understand here are ways in which you can prevent doing that again. That's our job. That's our job. Our job is to help prevent future behaviors by teaching them in a way in which it's meaningful to them. It treats them with some integrity, to, treats them with respect. You know this better than I do. As soon as you start treating them punitively or you start treating them like a quote unquote a prisoner, mm -hmm. that's what they're gonna act like. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we're doing. So um anyway, that 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 part of it is that part of it's been important. And I want to say one thing, and I and I uh, you didn't ask me this, but I'm gonna it has to do with equity, but it's it's important to me. Uh, I get asked a lot. Uh, I don't look like 99% of our kids. Right. I, I, and the, the, the thing that drives me to, and, and why I have, why I, in my entire career, I have worked in communities and districts and schools with very, very diverse backgrounds. Um, the reason I do that is because I believe I can bring opportunities to help these these individuals who are coming from difficult circumstances and whether i'm white black green red yellow it doesn't matter i love these kids i care about these kids and that's what that's what matters in order to be in order to in order to truly implement anything that's equitable you know the uh, you know you meant the question was about equity and the audit and all that in order for us to meet to do that in a, any meaningful way the leader of that organization, in this case, me, the leader of that organization has to genuinely care about these kids, the kids and genuinely care about the community. And, and that's what I do. And, and so for those out there wondering or thinking about equity and thinking about what does that mean? It will start or it will stop with the leader and how the leader approaches it. And so I, I didn't, I know I didn't want to leave that out because that's an important component of this. And I don't, I'm under no illusion <laughs> about the color of my skin. I'm under no illusion that I don't have the, the experiences, but I am under the illusion that I can help prevent future problems by putting the right things in place and demanding and expecting that our, our staff and our students um, rise up to that, whether it's equity, equality, anything else that, that that's related to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so important. Um, you know, just thinking about uh, touching on, um, like you say, the young men who are being removed um, on my campus. Uh, as I started as a teacher in 2013 with um, Hicks, it was more of getting that boys club started, um, thinking about my work in College Station and, and working with teachers and uh, motivating minority males to achieve inside and outside of the classroom. Um, so what I did, I began the boys club and then I just kept working. I kept putting it together, kept building. And then I got the job as the assistant principal. And so, you know, 
Um, that job is hard, but but uh, one thing that I try not to do and uh, I'm continuing to not to do is, is let that boys club fall by the wayside. So uh, using this platform to bring in people who are really working with these guys uh, and building them up. But but I have one other male uh, on my campus who works with me when I'm in those meetings or things like that. Um, uh, October, I mean, not October, I'm sorry, January 10th, I brought in, um, I had a barbershop form, right, uh, in the A-Leaf community. Um, we had about, um, right now, I got at least 25 to 30 males, Mr. Chambers, uh, all in A-Leaf who are saying, I'm here. They showed up on a Monday night, 7 o'clock to say, we are here. What can we do? Right, because I said so many years of this boys club in this school, how do we bring it out? Which is the reason for the podcast. How do we get this uh, communication information out to our people? Um, so now bringing it back into the school at an elementary campus, uh, and this number may be biased, but uh, I hire so many people from the community that come back and teach. And at the elementary level, 98% of those are women, right? Just coming back in. So my question to you is, uh, and, and looking at reaching these young men who are being um, put into these programs or being put into these SAC classes or suspended, what are we doing as a district to reach out to local universities and be intentional about bringing more men into the education field? Uh, and even taking that a step further, more men that look like our students uh, yeah. to connect with these young men in our district. Yeah, that, man, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one right now. Uh, I'll, I'll answer the question by what are we doing? And then I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we are partnering uh, with every university across the Houston area, but we, we have partnerships with the University of Nebraska. We have partnerships with the University of Iowa, University of Wisconsin, many, many universities across the Midwest. And part of those partnerships uh, are, are, are working with those universities to recruit males into the College of Education. The there's a pandemic, and you don't talk about the COVID, about COVID being a pandemic. There is a pandemic of, of a shortage of teachers. There is an absolute acute crisis in a shortage of male teachers. There is an acute acute crisis shortage of minority male teachers, and that is true in every college, every university in this country. And so what we're doing is we're going to colleges and we're asking them to give us a chance to talk to the incoming freshman class. Many of those are undeclared majors. Many of them have either not been accepted to the College of Business or the College of Engineering or the College of whatever the individual school in which they're attempting to major. But as you know, most freshmen enter their freshman their class is undeclared. And they may be in general studies or general whatever the degree plan is in, in each college. We're attempting to work within those colleges to identify those kids and to begin going in there and talking to them about the, the business, if you will, of teaching, salaries, insurance, retirement, um, always having the comfort the comfort of knowing there's a job, you have a job. Uh, the, the power of the, of the profession being able to overcome recessions and, and ups and downs in our economy. That, those conversations, and I mean, we're having them one-on-one. -on -one. It, do, it doesn't really do us good to go in a room of 35 individuals, do some 10-minute PowerPoint, and then walk out. These, are, these have to be intentional, personal discussions 
How does this impact you? How can you, you know, learn from it? And then trying to get them into a classroom because once we get them into a classroom, once they experience it, and I think you probably can attest to this, we can get, we can hook them. We, we can get them now. So that's, that's one example of what we're attempting to do to identify not only the, the minority male, but just males in general. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing it um, with non-traditional colleges of education. So I'll give you an example. Um, there's a, my, my mind just went blank. There's a school, there's a school in Kansas that we're, excuse me, not Kansas, Missouri. And we are working, it's a small liberal arts school. And we're working with them on some, on some things where we will guarantee jobs, guarantee, and we will pay them if the, if the, if the, not just males, but we're really focusing on males, but we will pay them uh, to come down and to do their student teaching in our district. We will give them compensation. We will help with their housing and we were, we'll do everything we can do to make the whole student teaching residency as painless as possible. And as you know, there, we've been doing this with university of Nebraska for years. Um, and we've got many, many of those teachers who come from Lincoln and Omaha, they come down here and they fall in love with this area. They fall in love with these kids. And so th those are the things we're doing specifically trying to ad ad address males. Now, let me say this. Um, we lose male teachers quickly because of salaries. Um, the, the, the teaching profession is going to, um, at some point, society local governments, state governments, federal governments are going to have to place a little bit higher emphasis and quality on compensation in order for us to compete with the private sector. And, and that, that is a, that's a real thing. I know teachers don't like to talk about money. I know most educators don't like to talk about money. We're not in it for the money. And, and I tell them, I said, you keep telling yourself that, but you and I both know, that it it's an issue, man. Yeah. It's an issue. I said I appreciate I appreciate your 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 honor and your power, and I appreciate that. I said, but let's let's be adult here. That that money does matter. Salary does matter, uh, and we 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 recognize that. So, uh, but there's you know districts, the A leafs, and I mean every district we we're putting as much money into compensation as we can. So until until we until we build a, a, a better brand of compensation so that that people and, and males in particular uh, feel like they, they can make a, a better living. Um, and until we build a, a brand that's more appealing in, in, in high school and coming out of high school into college so that students will want to consider education, uh, we're going to struggle. And that that's part of it. And, you know, talking about the compensation side, the compensation side is true of men and women. That's not, that's not a, that's not a, a distinguishable thing just, just because you're male, but we, the, but the data tells us, the data tells us a greater percentage of men leave teaching because of money than, than the, than the female. And, and so we, we, we have to take that into account and we have to, you know, I, I, I don't know what the answer is because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an elected official at the state level answer in every state, but there's definitely a shortage and there's definitely a, uh, there's definitely an attempt to, 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 to recruit and to encourage. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be candid with you. It's, it's a difficult task right now. It's very difficult. Yeah, I understand totally. Um, 
you know, you think about uh, even at our level, um, we have some students that come in from Taylor, you know, and, and so just looking at the business of teaching and going into those classrooms and you think about the importance of even nurturing them and, and doing everything to further programs like that uh, so that you do get a chance to follow those people because maybe those are uh, some students that are in those classes that you go to those campuses and talk to um, who want to come back because when I tell you, um, at that meeting that night with those men, uh, it was a lot of people from the community, but but those aren't the people that are saying, well, I, I want to go get certified or anything like that. Uh, so I was, in a sense, creating a citizen school, uh, but being able to bring that back inside of that building uh, and just have um, guys who look like me in that boys club, uh, powerful, Mr. Chambers, so very powerful. So uh, thank you for touching on that um, because we do know. It's real across the board out here. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we know, you know, I'll, I'll share with you something. We 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 do job fairs, and we're matter of fact, we're having a job fair on February tenth, I believe it is, and we're partnering with all of our local local churches, and we're asking. I have a pastoral network. I meet with uh, probably about five, six, seven times a year, and it's all of our local pastors, all denominations, all you name it. I've had it since I've been in A-League. And when when I talk to them, those pastors have tremendous influence over many, many members of their congregation. And they have tremendous outreach, the ability to outreach. And, and, and it just occurred to us, I said, there's many of these members in these congregations that may be willing or may want uh, to work in a school system. They may be unemployed. They don't realize they could, they could work in the school's and we have many of them out there with degrees that may may not be an education degree, but we could get them uh, through an alternative certification program and get them trained up. And so we're using things like that to identify males, particularly and go back to your comment about about males that look like these young men. Uh, I mean, I, I can't overemphasize how important that is. And you know that. And and so. So, yes, we have to not only recruit from all these schools I talked about, but we have to, quite frankly, we have to go to our historically black colleges. We have to go to where the, where the, 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 the young men are, where they're in college. And, and uh, as well as, as, as Latino men, I, I'll tell you where we're sh even short, more, uh, we're, we have as a percent of the student population, we have less Latino male teachers than we do African-American male teachers. And as you know, our Latino population is much greater than our African American population. So, we we have to. Um, I mean, it's it's it, it's a, a constant battle, and it's constantly looking at where are they going. I'll end by I'll end this issue by saying this: If you're listening to this, if you watch this, um, I strongly encourage you. Strongly encourage you uh, to 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 talk about teaching, talk about the profession in a positive way. Uh, Right now, man, the teacher and the education is being is being ridiculed by one particular party, and it's being done for political expedience. And it's and it's if we don't have people standing up for for the profession, then these young men that you and I are talking about right now, if all they hear and all they see is this criticism, and all they hear and all they see is is the um, the divisiveness that's being uh, uh, spewed, quite frankly, then yeah, hey, who would want to go into that? If that's all they hear, if that's all they hear. 
And so, anyway. Yes, sir. So, in closing this thing out, Mr. Chambers, uh, with so many people really feeling this pinch of this latest uh, variant anxiety is through the roof, uh, what do you tell teachers uh, that are in this position that simply need to hear a word of confidence and direction from our leader? And how do we get uh, those people more involved? Well, I I don't know how they get any more involved. They are already in the yeah. they are they are if I asked them to get involved in one more thing that 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 kill me. Uh, but in all seriousness, that this is the message I want teachers to to hear. And I, I we had a board meeting this past Tuesday night. And we talked about this. Yes, um, there is there is never never in the history of public education have we asked educators, teachers, principals, people on campuses, never we ask more of them. And, and and we ask more of them because of the situation that presents itself, pandemic, the issues of the day, the social issues of the day. And and it's all it's all kind of being put on the on the shoulders of educators. My message is is that your job has never been more critical than it is right now. However, you have never done better work ever. Um, the old adage, what, what, what did you, for those that had children when they were young, what did you always tell them when they went to do something? Do your best, right? That's what we always, that's what we tell kids all the time. Do the best you can. And my message right now is to, to teachers and for people who are, who are at the end of the rope and they're, they're, they're attempting to, to, to manifest the energy to do what they do and, and, and the students are their motivation. My, my message is keep doing the best you can because the best you can has been awesome. Uh, I had a teacher, this is back in the fall of 2020 when we were um, in just at the very beginning of COVID, I was trying to decide whether we were gonna come back in hybrid or face-to-face. -face. I mean, at the time everybody was still at home and I, I was, I had a teacher advisory committee and this teacher advisory committee was, I was meeting with them probably every couple of weeks and literally bouncing ideas off of them. I, I really wanted to know what, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, is this dumb? Is this good? Are you going to, is this going to be helpful? Is it going to be hurtful? And as I'm sitting there com contemplating with them about when I was going to start bringing teachers back because I had to, the state was forcing us to, and I, and I had no choice. I had a teacher that messaged me and said, you know, can we talk offline? And I said, absolutely. So long story short, as an elementary teacher, we spoke and, and she said, you know, Mr. Chambers, I'm not, um, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at the board. I'm not upset. I'm not I'm really not. I'm, she goes, what I am is that I am so frustrated that I am unable to do my best work. I can't, I know I'm better than this. I used to be able to go home before COVID. I used to be able to go home every day and say, I did every, I did the best I could today. I know I did. Some kids got it. Some didn't. I'll come back tomorrow and pick up the ones that didn't. But I know I did my best work. And I could rest at night knowing I did my best work. She goes, now I can't. I, I, I don't. I'm not doing my best work. I know I'm not. And I thought about that for a long time. I mean, I, I, I thought about that. And I. And I ended up call, I ended up getting in touch with her <laughs> about three months later, and I and I said, you know, that conversation we had, she goes, yes, sir. I said, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. She goes, 
why do you say that? I said, because by your definition that you had previous to this, you are not doing your best work. But I will tell you that since March the 13th of 2020, or March, every day I shut things down, you and your colleagues across this district have never been better. I said, think about what you did in one month's period. You went from a, a traditional school setting that had been in place for the last 150 years. And in one month, one. you flipped it and you're teaching kids online. Think about that. Yeah. Said, you did that in one month. You did that. And I know you had help. I know our IT people and things. Educators did that, and you have continued to do that. I said, right now, you've got a group of kids on a computer monitor, and you got a group of kids sitting in front of you, and you are an orchestra, a, 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 a maestro of an orchestra, conductor. I said, ma'am, you have never been better, and I know that doesn't fit your, your definition of your best work, but I ask you to respectfully take a step back and think about what you've done, how you've done it, and I know your kids are struggling, but ma'am, you've never been better, ever. And you will never be better than this. Yeah. And that's my message to teachers is I know uh, I know these other things are, are, are wearing on you, but I don't want you to go home at night thinking you have not done your best work or thinking that you have not been able to do your best work. Because I would argue with you, you have never been better. Yeah. And so... That's my message. We're going to continue trying to not be a, a problem. <laughs> but as I said earlier, as you and I talked about very early on, we're, we have a delicate balance. We have to take care and make sure that our teachers are mentally strong, emotionally strong, prepared. Uh, but we also have to make sure that we're not letting our children fall any further behind than they already are. And that is a, that is a, delicate, delicate tightrope that we're walking. And um, I, 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 I'll go to my grave never being able to thank teachers for what they've done and continue to do. Amen. Uh, yeah. Right, and look, Ms., uh, Mr. Chambers, this whole interview, I was paraphrasing, uh, making these questions work. And at the last one, <laughs> I, I, I meant to say not how could the teachers be more involved, but I wanted to end this really uh, talking to those community members and those other stakeholders involved and, and saying as we get ready to push forward and we working as a team together to build those kids to not let them fall anymore, how do they become more involved? I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give that part of your audience an easy answer. Yeah. We've got a built-in family engagement center on every campus. It's a it's a center that's designed for people family members, parents, but community members, it's designed with an employee there that is there to welcome individuals and in, onto that campus and help them find their way. We have some people that come in there because parents are just trying to become better parents. As you know, we have parents who come from all walks of, the, of life and all walks of this country, and they're, they're nervous about school. They're scared of the school. It's intimidating. It's a, if you come from another country, it's an intimidating place, but if I'm, if you're, for those of you who want to volunteer or if you actually want to work, we have opportunities, but I would start by going to your local school, whether it's an elementary or intermediate, middle or high school and asking for the family engagement center, because those individuals are equipped. We have somebody that's fully staffed. We, that's their job. 
they're there to help welcome and then find the place that you can you can best fit. If if you don't do it, I'm telling you, community, whether you have children in schools or not, if we don't do it, if you don't do it, no one will. Schools cannot do this alone. We uh, there's been books and books written about the absolute necessity for parents and for community members to take the responsibility of their community. And in their community, the main responsibility is their schools. And if, if you have a spare minute, a spare time, if you've got a gift, if you've got a, 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 a something that's important to you, something that you enjoy, share that with kids, share that with your local schools. And doesn't have to be five days a week, 40 hours a work week. It could be one day. It could be one hour a day. It could be one hour a week, whatever it is. But we have opportunities. And, and I want to, something you, you talked about. Let's go back to the, to these young men that we were referring to earlier. Um, the, the, these young men, um, we got to get it right with them. We, 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 we have, we have to do everything we can do to make sure that they turn into the men of our society that, that can, that can, that can produce and can be successful and raise families and provide for families so that our, our communities can continue to thrive. And that is all of our responsibility. That's just not my responsibility. That's just not your responsibility. That's the community's responsibility, all of us. So, you know, you, you look at the community, you look at your churches and you look at your schools and you look at the, the community itself. That is, that is the three prongs to the stool. I will argue the school, is, the school district is doing everything it can. I'm not saying we're perfect and I'm not claiming that that, that we're not, you know, without, without critique, but I'm going to tell you, the community has to step up, yeah. has to step up. And so my challenge to each community is to take care of yourself. Our, our entire country is built on communities. It's not built on large cities. It's not our, our country is built on little small communities, taking care of themselves, taking care of their own. And the most important asset in every community are its children, its kids. We say that all the time, don't we? Doesn't ever, but we don't act like it. Yeah. In many cases, people don't act like that. So I challenge everyone to get involved in your local school, whether you got kids involved or not, and just find somewhere where you can plug in and be a part of the solution and be a part of the process that helps not only young men, but these young ladies and, 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 the, and, the, and the students in our community. Because we're in many cases, the school that they're going to is their only safe haven. It's their, it's the only place they feel good at. It's the only place they feel safe at, and and we cannot let them down. And it, we have to have your help. We have to. Yeah, that that um, uh, you know, puts me uh to thinking about my artists and scholars initiative that I'm working on. And so it's um, you know, showing kids that it's not either or, but it's you choose whichever one because they are both on the same level. Whether you right. want to go get that trade or you want to go. Uh, and get your four-year degree. Um, so, but that that involves bringing in people from the community, bringing in the local plumbers, bringing in those local mechanics, uh, and, and really putting out a curriculum that carries these boys not only through uh, them creating their relationship in the community, but also highlight the STEM pieces of that uh, to just give you all of the parts of it while while still building a community uh, here in A Leaf. So, uh, awesome word for our community members. Um, and man, I just look forward to the future. Let's keep it rolling, Mr. Chamber. 
Well, think think about this. And you mentioned something that we haven't talked much about it. I know you, you got to wrap this up, but our 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 school system, and I'm not exaggerating here, our school system has the best career program, advanced career program in the state of Texas. And that is not me blowing smoke because I'm superintendent. It is the truth. And we have a facility. We have a $60 million facility that's state of the art, that's won all kinds of awards that allows these students that you're referring to. Some of them are going to college, but in the STEM fields uh, that they are actually learning in a real job setting with instructors from the private sector teaching that, teaching them. So going back to your challenge to the community or my challenge to the community, we have pathways for students. They are there. The pathways are there. The programs are there. The facilities are there. And thousands and thousands of daily students are using them every day. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes me proud to, to watch this happen. But going back to your community challenge, if you're a community member, there's a place for you to help these young men, these young women work their way, whether it's through the health science. I mean, we got part of this building looks like a hospital. Part of it's an auto tech. It looks just like a, it's, it's better than most car dealerships. Uh, we have science. We have, you, you name it. We have cybersecurity. We have information technology, architecture, construction. Well, we have students. My God, we have so many students getting their welding certificates going into the profession. So everyone out there can play a role in this. There's places for you to plug in. And, um, and I just, like I said, the challenge is to do it. Yeah. Yep. And that, that was one of my, um, you know, main questions and getting set up is how do I get elementary kids excited? So we've been looking at pictures of, of the technical center and, and just doing all this, you know, but but it's really all about by the time you get there, I don't want you to choose now. Right. I want to plant these seeds when you're seven, when you're eight. And so by the time you get ready to go to the career center, you like, yeah, this has been the plan. So I know my track. But now you're already tuned in and you know how serious um, it is to get that certification and head out that door to your career. Yeah, we got we got kids who are coming out of high school over there that are there. They've got jobs guaranteed yeah. when they're in the 11th grade. I mean, real jobs. I don't mean part time. I mean, careers. Yeah. And so, yeah, we and back to your if you want. Just let 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 me know and we'll get tours set up for these guys because we we have uh, we have many many students who are uh, younger students who tour that thing and their eyes just go and they, and they didn't even know it I mean they they it's no fault of theirs they just didn't know that these things were out there they had no idea but again it's our job to do this it's our all of our job not just mine not just yours everyone's job to make sure these these young men and young women are aware so. That's it, man. Well, Mr. Chambers, I, I want to say thank you for, um, man, taking an hour out of the business schedule. I, I know that that personal time is, is so guarded in a go, go, go world. So I appreciate these minutes today. Hey, I, what the best hour of the day, I promise you. It's been my hey, best hour. That, that, I will take that. And I will hold you to that uh, set up that trip for my guys, too, now. We, we really Let me know. Send, okay. you send me a note. Send me a note. Okay, we'll do. All right. All right, y'all. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.